Okay, so the last speaker for the day is uh, Toby Hope. He's a Joint Managing Director at Hollard Group Risk. He's been a member of the Professional Matters Board of the Actuarial Society of South Africa since 2005. He's the Chair of the Continuous Professional Development Committee. He's also been elected to the ASA Council. Uh, in his spare time, he enjoys disappearing into the African bush uh, and snow activities at, at Africa. Afri Ski in Lesotho. He also is the chair um, of the resort, the resort company, so I'm sure he's got a bit of connections if you guys want to meet with him afterwards. Uh, his topic will be around, uh, around the code of the actual society, uh, what does professionalism mean for the society, and uh, proposed changes in um, the, the CBD. Thanks, Thanks Toby. Okay, so hi everyone. Um, I haven't been here the whole day, so no CPD points for me. Um, but the agenda certainly looked interesting. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to be confined here the whole afternoon, but anyway. So the agenda certainly looked interesting, and, and I hope you found it interesting. Same to floats to exposure data, so um, I'm going to tone it down a bit, so it's going to be very non-actual. And we're going to be talking a bit about CPD, the code, professionalism. Okay. So what I need you guys to do is don't, if you have a question, shout. Don't wait for the, the, the hanging moment, whatever. If I say something and you don't agree or you want to uh, clarify, just shout. I mean, let's keep this informal. I prefer it. I'm battling just to stay in one place, so it's cut me some slack if I fade out. Um, and I prefer the organized chaos in environments. So if you've got questions, shout. Okay, so I'm not going to wait for them. And if you lose your gap, you snooze, you lose. And, okay, so this is super exciting stuff, okay? It's the code, it's the stuff that binds us together in the professional uh, environment, it binds us together in society. So this stuff's got nothing on your exposure stuff. Okay. So this picture that you can all see on your screen. It looks a bit fuzzy. It is fuzzy. Because as with life, and we set up all these rules and frameworks, there is that loose edge where things can go a little bit out of line. And this is where the value of the profession comes in, is to understand that line and to understand where you fit in the relation to your client, uh, to your employer, to your shareholders, and how you manage that fuzziness, but within the honoring of the code within the profession. Okay, so the code. Well, what happened there? Really? Looks on? Uh, okay, you know what it is? So I don't like black slides, um, so I use funny colors, and over here I can't see the funny color. Okay, so it applies to all members. This is a crucial point. We all think sometimes we're students, so it doesn't quite apply to us, and we're these young whippersnappers, and, you know, we're getting there. The code applies. If you join NASA, you've got these um, shackles um, in one respect, but you've also got these very strong guidelines in helping you develop your professional identity. We had a forerunner to the, the code. It was the PCS. Um, but as with life, things evolved, and now we've got the code. Effective in July, so I'm sure you've all read it at that point in time, I hope. And the key thing here is you should all read it. Um, it's good bedtime reading, and it creates a very nice framework, because what we're developing from here are auxiliary and complementary and supplementary bits of frameworks to help you guys in your professional lives. Uh, the peer review, the whistleblowing, these are all new things that are happening in this world. And 20 years ago it wasn't such a big thing, now it's getting bigger. Okay, any questions? So the key tenets of the code is built on, and, and you probably picked this up a bit in this presentation, is on three main structural themes. Okay. We've got to stay up to date. 
um, with our technical knowledge, our application of that technical knowledge to the solutions or the problems that are facing the world. Um, and I'm not just restricting it to the financial services or the insurance industry, and I'm going to go to the world, and you'll, you'll, you'll see why later. We've got to do it within a framework of a very strong moral compass. Um, and that is an important thing that we'll pick up on later. And of course, we're all accountable to each other because we all voluntarily join the profession. We write these funny exams and they're quite tough, but we voluntarily belong to the profession. I mean, you don't technically have to belong to the profession if you just want to be somebody that floats around and does a whole lot of technical work. But we all choose to be there. It's that sense of belonging and that sense of learning from each other and developing ourselves. And that's the true magic of definitely the actual profession. So if I don't get to that point, please remind me. Okay. Ha. Ah. So who's read the code? Okay, you don't need to put up your hand. You don't need to. Okay. Because generally it's like, who else is? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, when you see your buddies also put up your hand. Because it's not something you want to admit to. And you don't, you, you do need to read it. You don't need to study it. But you've got to be aware of the key themes in there. And they're quite important. Okay. So, in case you missed it on the earlier slide, I've just repositioned the three themes. It's the knowledge and expertise of you as a professional, your values and the ethical behavior in executing your um, professional duties as the actuary, and back to the accountability. Um, those of you with kids and have watched Spider-Man, you know, there's that saying in the Spider-Man movie, with power comes responsibility. Um, and accountability and all those things, it applies here. Um, and we'll get to that as well. So that's the code. The code is currently up for review. The PMBF's taken some feedback from, from the members, and there are a few tweaks we need to make, just to modernize it a little bit, just to update it a bit. Uh, many of them are housekeeping, so you don't need to be too worried about those. A key thing we are putting in because of our membership to the AIA, the International Actuarial Association, is the issue of confidentiality. For the rest of the world it's a big drama for those of you that have had exposure to um, non-South African based insurance operations. We've got it generally well covered within the South African legislation, but they want it specifically put in our code to maintain our full membership status. And it's a good thing. It's explicit. We're covering our bases. So I do encourage you to read it, maybe debate it internally with some of your colleagues. And if you do have some questions, shout. Send them all off to Vim or to Neil at the ESSA office. And, um, if you could do it by the end of the month, that would be great, because we just want to get it issued. Okay. So now we've got the code. It's a nice framework, nice set of rules, and it all makes some sense. How do we bring in the professionalism element of it? Because that's like a nice, vague fuzzy. As I mentioned in the earlier picture, honor the code, there's that fuzzy edge, and it has different interpretations. But a key, a key item that's relevant and that I'm going to develop further is this whole concept of the professional promise. Okay, because that's all it is. That's that's kind of what's binding us. And a key question I have to ask you guys is: as the actuary, so we've got that nice degree and that nice diploma and certificate. But actually, why should people believe us? I mean, why should they trust us? I mean, if you do a group risk quote and you say the rate is 42 cents, why should the trustees or the broker believe you if you value the liabilities on, on a life portfolio, if you work out your exposure data on, on the cat cover? Why do they believe us? It's a quite a profound question. I mean, we take it for granted. I mean, they must believe us. Of course, I'm the actuary. I did all that training. I mean, they must believe me. I did my analysis. I did the report. I got all the cover. Uh, I mean, stated all my assumptions. 
So you know, the answer must be the answer. And if you think about it, I mean, members of funds believe you. Uh, policyholders trust that you set the pricing, that it's right for them. Shareholders believe you when you produce your valuation report and you say, you know, we must do the takeover or the reserves are fine or the company is solvent. It's, it's quite a, I mean, are you getting the point I'm trying to make? It's just a little bit of work that you do, yet the impact of it is so great, yet I can bet you right now that every bit of that work is actually technically wrong. Because I don't know that that group risk premium next year is actually going to be 42 cents. I know it's going to be around that region. And that's that whole trust that the whole society and our clients and our members and our policyholders have in us. And it boils down to our training and the fact that we are professionals. And we miss that. We always go to the training, but we're also professionals. And that is a, a theme we're trying to develop within the council, within the society. Um, did you get it? This is like heavy stuff. So how do you know you're acting professionally? Just, well, do you mind if it's on the Sunday Times uh, front page? If you don't mind, then you can answer all the questions from all sorts of fields, you know, from a moral point of view, from a knowledge and expertise point of view, and your accountability to the profession. Well, then apart from the little fuzzies that may or may not be there based on experience, you're acting professionally. Okay. So I picked this up from Neil when he does the presentation to the new qualifieds. Um, mistakes are good. You need them. Um, that's how we learn. That's how we synthesize our data. Uh, and that's how you hit the experience. Um, obviously, we'd all like to believe we are wise men and we're learning from the mistakes of others, but. Um, I can tell you for free that that doesn't quite happen. But it's important, uh, again, that fuzziness coming through. So when it comes to professionalism, just remember it's not that simple. It's not black and white. And generally, if you look at the cases that hit the disciplinary committee, the benefit of hindsight, it's like, duh, it's obvious. I mean, why did you not think of that? Because you're looking backwards, things have evolved and better data has come available, or better interpretations of situations. But at that point in time when you're making that actual judgment, producing that report, making that decision, it's a good idea just to document it. And not bureaucracy, but just, just document why you made that decision, why it is what it is, what data you used. It, it just does help you understand and helps you learn. Because at some point in your career, you're going to think back about stuff that you've done. And it's good to go back to the frameworks you used when you made those decisions, because that's part of the learning curve. And again, I want you just to hang on that point, because it's going to come up later as well. OK, so now my organized chaos takes over. So now we're going to talk about the CPD. And that's probably a large reason why a lot of you stayed so late to listen to this older talk about CPD and to get your professionalism points in the current system. So that's cool. Thank you. But it's a very important element that we have in the society to help us deliver on our vision. And you might see some key words again. But effectively, the the key vision of the actual society and what council is mandated to look after is to make sure that you guys and all our members are of the highest professional quality. Great technical expertise and knowledge, you might have heard that earlier in the presentation. That we're on top of our game and that we are relevant to our members, our, the society, our shareholders and that the work we're doing has great value. We're accountable for it. And a key thing that we're busy developing within council is to inform public debate. Uh, remember earlier I said we don't always live in the financial services world, and that's a good thing. But we do need to start, and we are expanding outside that. And a key thing is to use the technical knowledge we have 
is to inform the public debate because there is a maximum macro value that we can deliver to society and, and definitely SA. Okay, so these are nice lofty goals that we have. And our mechanisms for building the language around it for, for the profession to understand is, is what we've called the professional promise. Okay. So we have the vision and the professional promise is like the how or parts of the how. And you might pick up on some keywords again. So our members deliver the best service utmost ethical behavior, and they're fully accountable. You see how the themes are developing here. So it's quite easy to answer that question while you're studying. Uh, the course material, the technical stuff, starts gearing your mind towards it. It's in the training, and you have the professionalism course as soon as you qualify, some work-based skills, some new things that are happening. And then you're sort of done. And the only thing we then have there afterwards is um, your own motivation to study further or um, the CPD from a professional point of view and from the council's point of view. Okay, so the CPD program actually has quite a bit um, on its plate. So going back up to here. Are you guys with me? Um, do we need to do a warm-up, run around, greet your neighbor, or are you still okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, so to develop this, we've got the CPD committee. It's a subcommittee of the Professional Matters Board, and that's reporting to council. So that's all the boring stuff. But what the CPD committee is trying to do is create a dynamic environment in which we can manage CPD within the, the profession. You, you know, when I qualified like a while back, um, there were four, four key themes and four key disciplines and you had to write them all and all those wonderful things. Now, you, it's just a lot more diverse nowadays. I mean, you've even got the banking one that's popped up this year. Uh, this is all awesomely good stuff. So the world is changing. So as a committee, we've got to create the environment where we can expose society and the members to technical and non-technical elements that qualify for a CPD a learning process. We need to be able to monitor it. We need to communicate and all those wonderful things. Okay, so that's what the CPD committee does. So I've got this slide up here now, and I'm going to talk quite a bit about this slide. But we're looking, and we are going to, it's just a case of how and when, change the method of our CPD process within um, the society. Okay, so there's absolutely nothing wrong with our current system. It works. Um, there's good attendance at all these conventions. There's good debate. There's good questions. So from a pure council point of view, it looks like there's a good stimulating environment for the profession on a sort of non-compete basis to share ideas, swap data on geocoding and caching and other stuff on GPSs, and it seems to be working, okay? But, and there's always a but, well not always, but there's a but, yeah. So the world is changing. We all know that um, technology is different, the whole connectedness of everything and the relevance of stuff is different. I mean, we've moved from an environment where we lived in pensions to an environment where we do all sorts of other stuff, banking, risk management, um, run ski resorts. So these are all things where it's just different, yet the underlying principles are the same. Now, why are they the same? Because we are sometimes a weird bunch, and I'm the first one to admit it, and my friends will tell me I'm sometimes completely cooked. But the way we are trained is we're trained through the course material and in our interactions with each other to take data from all sorts of formats and places and 
different types of data and, and try and bring them in together into some sort of financial sense. I mean, we build models to try and explain things to people and to ourselves. So we have this ability to take a very complex view of the world out there and try and create links. That's very important. It's an important component of our training. Uh, I mean, we do have the rigor of process and that in our training, but, but the key theme, theme in our training is create these links in, in associations with things that aren't always visible to other people, then build models to explain them to other people and to shareholders and all those sorts of things so that their lives are better, their risks are managed, everything just works from that point of view. Okay, so the world is changing. So against this backdrop, okay, so now we've got these nice codes that we have. We have our professional promise to deliver to society as a whole. And we are these sometimes weird thinkers and we build these wonderful models. So in this changing environment, to have a CPD system that says I did two hours of professional training this year, it just seems like the CPD process is falling a little behind our sort of lofty thought process and our strategy at the council level. So again, just to reiterate, there's nothing wrong with the current CPD, but we're positioning ourselves as a profession for the future and to have a greater relevance to our traditional employers and hopefully new employers, the banks, um, engineering companies, who knows. We might even have a government's actuaries department, um, hopefully, soon. Some discussion on that. I probably shouldn't have said that. But these kind of things are, are good. Um, the world out there is looking at the actuarial profession and is saying, we want your input, we, want, we value your input. I mean, I, I can cite a case where National Treasury put out a paper. I can't remember which one. I think it was Credit Life. Neil, bail me out, yeah. I think that's one you idea. But basically, we didn't reply because, uh, as the society, because we felt there's nothing we could add to the, the debate in the public space. Treasury actually phoned the council office and said, well, we're waiting for you. We know you've missed the deadline. We have to get this thing sorted out, but we want your input, even if it's just to confirm what everybody else has said. So if you take all these data points and build our complex models, we, we've got to re-engineer our CPD a little bit. Okay. So I think I've covered, all, I've covered all those points. So there's the wider fields point. We're not just in our usual disciplines. I mean, you guys here in the short-term industry, 20 years ago this, this audience wouldn't have been here. So life has changed. Because of the computing power we have and the greater synthesis of the data, we, are, we, we do have the luxury nowadays to have a much deeper uh, thinking and application of, of our solutions. I mean, back in the day, spreadsheets were the only thing we had now. You've got much greater tools. And back to the point of um, sort of the non-practicing actuaries or the non-actuary actuaries. I suppose Frank Reddington would have a problem with that statement, but um, there are a bunch of our members within the society and your colleagues and peers and seniors that are members of the society, but I think if you had to speak to them nowadays, they'd like be very nervous about what you're saying because they're not practicing actuaries. Yet, they're members of our society, they have years of experience and a lot to give to um, the society and mentoring youngsters and all those good things. But many of them are trustees, on boards of trustees, managing copious volumes of asset management or they're on boards of directors that have strategies that involve many members, policyholders, citizens in the country. So how do we create also a platform for these sort of non-technical, non-practicing actuaries that are board members or just members of a massive pension fund or trustees? So there are small gaps um, that we need to cater for. Then a big one for me was, um, personally, was the compliance issue. Okay, so uh, 
be the first to admit, sometimes I'd go to the convention because I'm a bit behind on my CPD hours. And yes, you'd learn some stuff and you'd speak to some of your mates and you'd pick things up. But in the context of the professional promise and, and the future of, of the profession, yeah, is that really good CPD? It's, it's CPD and it's a very structured CPD. And as I said before, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with the system. It's comparable to many of the other professions worldwide, but um, sometimes it's a compliance function. And, it's, and compliance and I generally aren't the best of friends at, back at the office, but um, I just think it's the wrong thing. And you know, in, in discussing this with the PMB and with council, um, they do agree as well, um, and that's why we're going ahead with this. So. It's all about the learning that you get, and not so much the compliance. So I think that's a key, key thing that's developing and has developed. Okay, we've spoken enough about the professional promise. Uh, I'm sure you can mention the three things already because there's been enough subliminal um, slides up there for you guys. And I think it's also to strategically position the uh, profession for the future. So you still don't know what I'm talking about yet, but we're changing the CPD. Now, in terms of the changes, coming off a very strong platform, a key question would be, so how's the institute and the faculty going to react to this? In terms of our mutual recognition agreement, is everything still cool? It is. The short answer is, there's a long answer and there's a short answer. Generally, it is. Um, they're very excited about what we're doing. Uh, we are a bit of a guinea pig. I do want to stretch the uh, boundaries a little bit because given our training and the, our ability to synthesize complex stuff, I, I think it will be good for the profession. And I kind of want to take away some of the admin of the current CPD, uh, but there's another shadow to that admin, so I can't get rid of it completely. And I think a key point is the, that strategic positioning for the future, okay, because we bunch of bright oaks and ladies. Okay, so how are we going to do this? So we're moving away from the hours into a very individualized personal development plan, which is not going to be presented by ASA. They're going to be, okay, there's the Toby view, which is going to be no rules. Obviously, reality has to set in, and there will be some guidelines. But you're all a bunch of professionals. You know what you need to do at work. You know what you do, need to do in your lives. You've studied a hell of a lot to make the grade, so you're not going to completely throw that away. So you're going to do what's great for you, and if it's great for you, it's great for the profession, great for work, great for your career, and all those good things. So that is the underlying assumption, but I think given the types of people that become members of our profession, I think it's a pretty sound and tested assumption. So we've moved from assumption to fact. So, and it's premised on some of our own theory, the stuff we learn, um, the actual control cycle. So I know it has various iterations and, and the new, new textbook might have a slight different spin on it, but it boils down to you, you got some data, you think about it, you build some models, you see what happens in the world, you understand it a bit better, which gives you more data, which means you refine everything. So it's this whole iterative learning process, and that's what we're hinging the whole new CPD on. There's an iterative learning process for yourself. So from a society, from uh, the council's point of view and from the ASA's office point of view, this might be five hours to equate it back to the old system of CPD. It might be 150 hours. Who knows? We're not particularly worried about that. What we are worried about is what did you learn and how did you learn it? Okay. So there's a nice subjectivity element to it. But given that we are trained in the space of data and clear answers and sensitivity analysis and that, I think council can trust the profession that they do a good job of this. So how does it start? Well, you define what you want to learn this year. You know, um, 
whether it's a, a personal thing you want to do in the actual your actual growth, if it's something at work, you define it. So now that you've got it, what are you going to do about it? What are the courses you need to do? What is the reading you need to do? Who do you need to meet? What do you need? What questions do you need to ask them? And you, and you document this. So this is a bit more admin, yeah, but uh, but it's good admin. Then obviously you need to implement your plan. So um, one of mine would be, uh, unfortunately I'm a director of a company, and I say unfortunately because there's all sorts of issues, fiduciary and liability and things. So that's great, can handle the complexity of the role and all those good things, but I'm a clown in the office half the time, so how am I going to be a good director? So fine, in terms of my CBD program, I went to the Institute of Directors, I did the governance and all those, those good things, you know. Um, that is relevant, it's, it's proper CPD for the plan I had for that particular year to develop that particular skill for that particular situation I was in. And, and you can see how this thing goes, I mean you can stay in that space but next year something new is going to pop up that you're going to be involved in and that's going to create a whole lot of new data points, new learning experiences, new things you need to know to be able to be the best at doing that particular job as the professional actuary. You know, your expertise and knowledge, your value system, your moral compass, and of course your accountability in performing that work. Okay, so that long speech is we're just applying the actuarial control cycle to CPD, um, full stop. Okay, so that's like the very short answer. I can talk lots about this, but that's the premise of it. So in developing this personal development plan of your, uh, your individual one is there's you. You have to do it and learn. And the key emphasis is learn. You don't have to learn a lot, but you need to learn. Um, sometimes there's some of the stuff you can't always learn from. ESSA will continue to play its current role in arranging um, practice area, seminars, conventions, uh, sessional meetings, the convention. These are good, good anchors for your own growth and development. And now the whole emphasis is not so much on the hours, but what did you find out of it? Who did you speak to? What did you learn? How can you apply it? All those good things. So there's a bit more work in, in, involved in this. For the students, and generally the younger actuaries, and possibly some of the older ones actually, come to think of it, the good thing with this new system is I'm sure you all work for, most of you work for employers, and most of these employers have some sort of appraisal system at work. So there's absolutely no reason why we can't apply some of the outcomes and objectives you have in your appraisal system in your actuarial career at an insurance, financial institution type company to also qualify for your personal development plan from the CPD. So we've had some discussion with some of the ATOs, the actual training officers and some of the insurance companies, and, and, and they've shown significant buy-in to this process as well. So it's not two things, well in theory it's not two things you're going to be doing now. Um, you're going to be doing one thing and that's growing yourself as a professional and you're going to score some points on your professional development plan and score your CPD points but hopefully also get fat increases and bonuses because you did it so wonderfully well and it's the same piece of work that you're going to be doing. So I mean obviously from council's point of view is we can't prescribe all the ATOs and insurance companies to follow but so far everybody's very keen. Uh, on this. And then one of the key things we also want to encourage through this new process is for the more experienced actuaries to mentor and coach and develop some of the younger guys. So in the past that doesn't really count because there wasn't a framework for that, but now that's quite a key important um, component also of the CPD environment, is both the mentor and the mentee. You're both going to learn something from that interaction. 
Okay. So, uh, I was obviously a bit optimistic when I said any more questions, but um, so here's a, a holding pattern uh, if you want to ask me any questions. And don't be shy, I mean, go for it. Yeah, no, go for it. Okay, so yeah, it's a great question. Of course, the psychobabble HR training that I've had in the office is we don't all have weaknesses, we have development areas. <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard all that before. So I'll answer it slightly differently because it, it is your first iteration is going to be very um, well, I'm pretty cool. I'm just going to hit a few things and you're going to go through it because we're all pretty cool. We all actuaries. We all do quite well at work. So that is there. But in designing the system, we actually did run a pilot. Okay, so what I'm presenting to you is not just some theory that we've thrown together. We, we ran a pilot with 30, 30 volunteers. So now I know there's an inherent bias in that because only the ones that subscribe to the concept would volunteer, so that aside. And they were a diverse bunch. I mean, we, we had a principal officer who was a member of the society, we had a director, we had an academic, and a whole bunch of, you know, a broad range of um, participants in this volunteer group. And by and large, everybody developed a completely different development plan just even in the format. You know, we, we tackled the main points, you know, what do you want to do, how are you going to do it, etc. So there were, those headings were there. But everyone did their own thing. And that was great because it was personal. It was what you wanted to do. And um, the feedback we got from the volunteers was that initially, because now I've got to sort of bear my soul on a piece of paper to myself, and we're all awesome, and that's like not always the easiest thing to do. But once you got past that, and you actually distilled that list, and this is the generalized feedback, into the three or four key items you want to tackle, because you ended up, generally the, the, the consensus was, the guys ended up with quite a big list of things that they wanted to do. So it became a task list. And then they started just saying, okay, well, well, what are the key things I want to do as a professional? And some of them boiled down just to one thing. And then they developed that. So your point's valid, and it's just part of that whole iterative learning process that we're going to go through. And to give you some comfort, from a council point of view, I'm certainly not going to, I don't want to see your PDP, and I'm certainly not going to judge it but it's for you to look at and review. Um, so I think using the sample that we had, the feedback was really awesome. Uh, one of the participants on this was uh, Peter Doyle. Um, and he had some really interesting things to say. And, and you know, Peter's like been on council, he's been a past president, so he's like super, super actuary in terms of uh, a profession point of view. And the kind of feedback he had on how he experienced his uh, development plan, it's quite good stuff. So uh, I think you've got to give him a chance. Um, and you can run it in tandem. I mean, for next year, you can run the hours-based compliance version in Toby Speak, and you can run this one and see which one you get your best um, outcome from. The one guy even commented that, two, no, no, more than one, actually said the CPD was actually fun. I still haven't made that connection yet, but they actually enjoyed it because they got exposed to stuff they would normally not, not ordinarily push themselves to, and that created a whole learning experience within, within the profession. So that, that was very exciting for us from the committee's point of view.
I, I like the idea. And so if I extrapolate many years down the line, what we should see is a very diverse society because now the professional learning that we all attend are not restricted to the slides we see and you know, the kind of standard themes and what you take from it. So a known and intended end goal might be a very diverse um, you know, society in terms of professional skills and how we do it. It's obviously difficult. We, we say in our professional promise that we provide a quality service. Uh, definitely will be relevant. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean uniformity of delivery. That's fine. So that's an interesting debate that we've had internally. Uh, and there is some risk of that. Okay. But uh, sort of the key answer to that is you're looking from now and sort of jumping 20 years. Okay. We've got to get through the first 19 to get to the 20. So given our own iterative learning process in this and applying the actual control principles to the CPD system, uh, I'm sure we'll manage that. I have to believe that we can, given our, our skill set. Um, so, yes, if you do from here to then, definitely, but I think we'll, we'll cope with that. Um, and I'll mention the monitoring after the question from Paul. Hi, yeah. Um, if one imagines switching totally away from the, um, the attending um, these sort of events, these sort of events are going to have to become much more attractive, which I think is a good thing. Uh, with all due respect to the organising committees, it's a hell of a long time, but you know, you fill the agenda, you know you're going to get a full house. And I think if you want to get people in the future, they're going to have to be really meaningful. Uh, you're probably going to have to give a bit of a preview of what the, the content of the, of the lecture or the presentation is going to be before you can even send out your invitations, yeah. which I think is a good thing. Okay, so that's great, Paul. Thanks for raising that. So from the council's point of view, these conventions and seminars are great. But as Paul says, what we want to do as a profession is strategically position us, not as the little nerds that do the actual calculations for life companies, and that's Toby Speaks, you can quote me, but the go-to guys for anything where it's complex. Because we have that training. I mean, we've, and I don't want to say that the financial side is the only thing we can do. I think there's a lot more that this profession can, can do for, for society. So building on that, we want to lift the game. So we might be lifting the game for the next 20 years only in the world we know and understand, which is finance, numbers, moving money through time, dealing with um, uncertainty. But I'd like to believe, and building on my previous point, our own iterative learning of our professional development um, would lift the game. And I'll go back to banking. 10 years ago, we wouldn't have thought of doing a banking environment. But then we looked at the banking environment and said, oh, well, what do they do? You know, there's credit risk, there's liabilities on the balance sheet, there's assets on the balance sheet. Yeah, this is all stuff we've been trained to understand. So there's an application we can do there. And um, I mean, there's a chunk of us that work for banks, a big chunk. Okay, so the one thing I haven't mentioned, um, and sort of I'm subtly adding it into the questions is how do we monitor this because we move from here to 20 years and we get this whole diverse bunch of actual professions running around the world not quite world domination but we're getting there closely so what we're going to do at um, council level and at the ESSA office level is there are going to be random checks I mean I don't particularly want to know what Deanne's up to and I'll probably uh, apply poppy and just scratch the name out because not really it's for her to decide what she needs to learn but what the office is going to do and what the committee is going to do is do random sampling of this and see what are the key topics the profession is looking at what are they learning um, where, the, where, where are the di diversions happening how do we bring it back because it's getting a little bit out on the extreme what's the quality of some of the learning not the fact that Yen learned the following thing, but what's, how do we interpret the quality? So there's a bit of a subjectivity in it. And if we pick up at a particular trend or you know, too many people are worried about this and they're not about that, then through the practice areas and through convention topics, we will then, as the um, council, provide some input to the society and say, guys, yes, some red flags developing, yes, some good things build on that. So there will be that kind of oversight from the CPD committee point of view. We're less worried about checking, you know, 
Did Eric have 42 hours? Okay, now that's enough. Well done, Eric. You get your gold star. That's less of an issue. It's like, well, what did Eric do? Okay, he's following on these themes. This seems to be a big recurring topic in development. From a professional society point of view, we need to respond to the community on that and help you guys with that learning. So that's how we're going to, that, that's kind of the approach we're taking. Can I ask a slightly different question? Coming to the uh, professionalism course, you know, we, we do it more or less when we've done all the other stuff and then we never get exposed to it again. Um, you know, I haven't been to a sessional meeting where there's been anything about you know, maybe case studies of you know, change the name, change the, yeah. you know, the people so you can't identify them and then, and then have a debate about what, what is actually wrong with this guy's behavior or you know, would you defend him, would you, would you uh, criticize him? And, and I think we need to just think about how we could do that as we go along. Yeah, Paul, um, that is a challenging one. So where we're going is we, we're looking to the UK a lot to look at some of their professionalism type training because they're anonymous. Uh, if we look at and sort of desensitize and take the names out of the cases, if we look at uh, the cases before the disciplinary committee, it's very difficult to anonymize them. Uh, it really is. Um, the profession is quite tight. The profession is of quite a high standard that it's easy to put two and two together um, for the South African cases. So we'll look to the U U UK on that. In terms of the professionalism training, it is something in the lifelong committee that is a, a deliverable topic that they've got to look at, uh, is to keep the keep it alive outside just qualifying but not make it formal because formal is also never a good thing because you want people people to really participate uh, and that's where the the true learning and that whole interactive learning happens I mean I can lecture tons and I can talk a lot of nonsense half the time you won't listen but if you connect and talk about something that's real and is, is a counterpoint then and there's a lot of debate and questions that's when it starts happening that's what we're trying to get to. Um, just a question from my side. Um, you mentioned the UK is aware of the change. Do you think that some of the other societies will move towards this as well, or do you think they'll stay with the hours? I've <laughs> got no clue. <laughs> the, what I can tell you is the IAA are looking at us as quite because we're a bit out there and trying to push the envelope a little bit uh, it's definitely piqued their interest and um, we've explained why we're doing it and uh, it's definitely got their buy-in whether it's going to be something they're going to put on the to-do list for all the member societies I, I don't know uh, and I must just reiterate this is actually quite an intensive CPD so the hours thing is, yeah, it's boring, you go and clock it up and the whole thing. This is the real stuff. And I actually had to go to the AGB, um, the actual governance board, and, and take them through the CPD process because they're responsible to some extent for governance within um, the society outside the council role. And it is a bit out there. We acknowledge that, but we kind of out there people in our thinking and the complexity of the problems we solve. So, and when we explain to them why we're doing it, I mean, even the AGB, which has a whole bunch of lawyers, some FSB fancy pantsers, sorry, um, senior people from the FSB and senior lawyers and admitted attorneys and um, ex-president of SAIA. And I said, you guys are onto something. This is like real stuff. And these are guys that have been around the block, taken a few punches, also landed a few themselves. And when they understood what we're trying to do and how we're going about it, I mean, we've got their full blessing. So we've got that, we've got the AIA looking at us, we've obviously got council support, so just, what the hell? I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Um, so yeah, there's another question over there. Oh, sorry, it's maybe just a random thought on that, but uh, for those of us who belong to the Institute as well as ASSO, we have to still comply with their CPD as well, which is 
it's quite a pleasant thing, two sets of admin to complete during a year, so it gets really fun. But one of the nice initiatives that came out of their professionalism CPD is they've actually given a whole lot of videos on various case studies. Now, I can't tell if they're fact-based or completely fake. I can say that they found relevance to me, so maybe it's an idea for us to try and implement some of those videos and podcasts. I mean, the advantage over is you're not saying it's on Wednesday, the 18th of September, and if you can't make it, sorry, you can actually watch it at 12 o'clock at night to 11 o'clock, and I mean, you can keep records of people having watched it. Just an idea. Yeah, no, um, that's definitely happening. That's in the conversation. Uh, the institutes and faculty are developing more of these videos, and the attraction to us, as I mentioned earlier, is it's anonymous. Even if they're real-life cases there, we wouldn't, well, we'd be generally clueless of, of the actual case. So, um, yeah, we're going down that road. And some other things that we're looking at. Um, some of the suggestions was to run an ethics course. Um, but this was discussed at the AGB, and um, the, the one attorney general said, how is it that the actual profession, and I couldn't answer this question, I said, I don't know, but how is it that you, in the newspapers, in the Sunday Times, you know, the Sunday Times test, you often hear about lawyers, accountants, and other professionals doing things that you wouldn't quite expect. Okay. How is it that the actual profession escapes that? How is it that overall, you know, at a macro position, we generally do a good job and we're not in the news for dodgy things. And I, and I said to, uh, I don't know, I think it's just our training. We've got far too much at risk to um, throw it all away. It's the only thing I can think of. I mean, I couldn't think of all the other professional promise and all the things because he, he grilled me on the spot. Um, but that's de definitely the perception out there of us as a profession from these guys that have been around the block. So we've got some big shoes also to keep filling and, and keep filling going forward. So we've got to stay ahead of the game, stay ahead of the curve. Are there any other questions? Now we've got 10 minutes and you can talk about <laughs> our CPD professional training. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, okay, Debbie. <laughs> Okay, that wraps it up. Um, I think it was, it was a great program throughout the day. The, the feedback that I got during the breaks was also positive. Um, we'd appreciate if you guys fill in the, the, the survey for us so that we can even make it better next year. Just to give you guys a bit of uh, some input, registrations was around it was over 250 registrations, so we keep on growing. Uh, we have filled the biggest room at Empress Palace, so maybe we'll have to consider a new venue next year. Uh, but thanks for your attendance. There's going to be drinks outside, so please join us for a beer or two. Thanks, guys. <laughs>